0: This podcast is brought to you by New Hope Baptist Church. For more information, visit the website newhope.net.au or follow us on social media. sermon series about the Psalms this morning by reading Psalm 22, so you might like to pull out your Bible and turn to Psalm 22, which I think sets out one of the greatest invitations of the Christian life, which is to live a life in connection with the Son who was crucified and raised to new life. But to do that, this morning I actually really need your help. So I'd like you to turn to someone who's in your approximate vicinity this morning, and I'd like you to answer this question. If you could wake up tomorrow having gained one new ability, what would it be? If you could wake up tomorrow morning having gained one new ability that you don't currently possess, what would it be? Why don't you turn to um, someone who's in your vicinity this morning and just share with them what comes to mind as you listen to that question. What one new ability would you like? can hear those brains turning. Come on, what one new ability would you really, really want? I wonder, is someone feeling courageous? Do you want to just share what your one thing is? Is there anyone in the room that knows what new ability they'd like? Someone, anyone? I'm listening. Come on. What one new ability? Playing piano. piano. Someone wants the ability to play piano. How lovely would that be? Watch out Chopin, you're on it. What other abilities would you want? More More wisdom. Oh my goodness, wouldn't we love more wisdom? All of that foolishness that we get stuck in—more wisdom. Anyone else? French. Speak French. How fabulous would that be? It's such a beautiful language, isn't it, Richard? My goodness! And you could read the menus and order the escargot, and it'd be good. And your fashion sense would improve, no doubt. I think that once you learnt to speak French. Anyone else? Hit, my drive 50 hit your drive at fifty metres third. Obviously a passionate golfer here? Okay. Speak Chinese. Chinese. It is the language of the present moment and the future, isn't it? This is the Asian century. I'd love to speak Chinese. Just looks really difficult, doesn't it? Wonderful. Well, no doubt you have been in a room like this many times where someone up the front engages in this thing that we called an ice. Breaker. And I'm sure that there are some masochists out there who really love icebreakers, but I think that for, the mo- for most of us, when we hear the term icebreaker, we kind of like groan inside and go, oh really? Like, do we really have to do this right now? I thought I was coming to a church service when I didn't have to speak to anyone. But thanks to the power of of human social dynamics, the answer is, yes, of course, we have to do the icebreaker because everyone's doing it. And so we steal our nerves and we dive in and in the process, we have a really slightly beginning awkward conversation with someone that we may not know about something that we probably haven't really thought about. But guess what? Something really shifts in the moment, doesn't it? Did you feel the energy in the room change as you kind of got over it and threw yourself into it and begun the exercise? You can feel the energy go up as people respond with curiosity and this willingness to give it a go. And why is that? Why is that? How do we go from groaning reluctance in one minute to this burst of energy so quickly? Well, I'd like to suggest that when we dive into the sea of vulnerability together, a profound wave of connection and trust rises up. When we all dive into the sea of vulnerability, a wave of connection and trust rises up. Now, I'm sure that you've been told, look, if you want people to be vulnerable, what you need to do is kind of like construct a house. First, you need to lay a foundation. You need to lay a foundation of trust and connection, and only once you've laid that foundation will people feel safe enough to be vulnerable. But actually... Icebreakers are proof that we have that exactly backwards. Because icebreakers invite you to talk to a person that you have no history with, no shared foundation of connection and trust, and to dive headfirst into the sea of vulnerability. And what do you know? It's the dive that creates the connection and the trust. It's the vulnerability that actually creates the connection. If you want to connect, don't wait, be vulnerable. And understanding what creates connection is incredibly important in a moment in our culture where one in three Australians say that they are experiencing loneliness. And where many Australians, especially 18 to 24-year-olds, say that social experiences make them incredibly anxious and where one-third of Australians say they're not actually part of any friendship group. And, of course, the physiological implications of this is catastrophic as the studies begin to show us that social isolation and loneliness has the same impact on mortality and health as issues like obesity. Obesity. One of the best examples of vulnerability's ability to create connection is this wonderful study that was conducted just over 20 years ago by a doctor called Dr. Arthur Aron. Picture this for a minute. A man and a woman walk in separate doors in a laboratory. They've never met before, they sit down at a table, and over the course of 90 minutes, they answer 36 questions. And at the end of the 36 questions, they sit for four minutes, looking each other in the eye in absolute silence. Spoiler alert, six months after this experience, a number of these people got married. So the 36 questions, they begin pretty innocuously. Question one, given the choice of anyone in the world that you could have over for dinner at your place, who would you choose? Question five, when did you last sing to yourself? But the questions quickly become increasingly probing. Question 10, if you could change anything about the way that you were raised, what would that be? You actually answered question 12 this morning. If you could change, uh, if you could have one ability tomorrow morning, what would it be? Question 21, What role does love and affection play in your life? Question 30. When was the last time you cried in front of another person? And the final question, question 36. Why don't you share a personal problem that you're wrestling with and ask the other person to give you some advice? And after they've given you some advice, um, get them to reflect back to you how they think you feel about the problem that you just shared. And then just sit there. After you've given all of these funny, intimate, poignant answers and have told more things to a total stranger in the space of an hour than you've probably told to some people who have known you for many years. Just sit there and stare into one another's eyes for a full four minutes. What a thrilling and terrifying four minutes that must have been. As you try to maintain eye contact and breathe normally across a table from a person who this strange process you've just experienced has accelerated the intimacy between you. And where you feel like they're actually really seeing you, in ways that some people you interact with every day never do. They see you more clearly, more fully, than people who know you well. Shared vulnerability creates connection. And this morning, I want to draw a parallel between these 36 questions in uh, in, uh, this doctor's study and these 150 psalms that we're thinking about over these coming weeks. Because I reckon that the Psalms are a little bit like listening to someone give 150 answers to a bunch of questions that are just slightly out of earshot. I noticed that on the WhatsApp group we've got going around this sermon series where we're reading the Psalms together during the week in anticipation of the sermon, people are really interested in the question, what was the situation that prompted the Psalm? What was the context that the writer was responding to? You might say they want to know the question that the psalmist is addressing, which, of course, is a fascinating but ultimately unknowable question. But more importantly than just listening to one person speak, like in the experiment, the psalms have this incredible power to uphold both sides of the conversation. Sure, you get to sit across the table and you get to listen to someone reflect on the events of their life, both the good things and the devastating things. But at the same time, when we put the language of the Psalms in our own mouths, on our own lips, they give us words and images and a visceral experience that interprets and resources and enables us to process and to understand the events in our own lives. Sure, the Psalms aren't our words, but that doesn't mean that they don't have this extraordinary ability to narrate our own experience. For the Psalms contain a vast ocean of vulnerability that invite us to dive in so that we might experience a profound wave of connection and trust in the relationship that matters most, that is, our relationship with God, And Psalm 22, I think, exemplifies this dynamic in the most direct way because it gives extraordinary voice to someone wrestling with a profound loss of connection in their relationship with God. It begins, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? Oh my God, I cry out all day, but you do not answer by night and am not silent. Then after those two devastating and dramatic verses, it feels like the psalmist is trying to reach out for some kind of thread of hope, because they then go into their history and connect with what they know, taking a step back to remember, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and they were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. And then it's like they cycle back into this experience of forsakenness as it overwhelms them and as they think about how others must see them. Verse 6, but I am a worm And not a man, scorned by men and despised by people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, they shake their heads. Yeah, he trusts in the Lord, let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. And then again, the psalmist regroups and connects with the God who has been there since the very beginning of their life. Verse 9, yet you brought me out of my womb. You made me trust in you. Even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast upon you, from my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. And one last time, the psalmist draws breath and turns towards their feelings, shivering in fear and their sense that the very end of their life is near. Verse 12. Many bulls surround me, roaring lions tearing their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it's melted within me. My strength is dried up like potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death." And then from here, from verse 18 onwards, having followed this sense of abandonment to its most terrifying and ultimate end, to be laid in the dust of death, the psalm's final verses are this extraordinary song of praise to a God who delivers them from the sword and rescues them out of the mouth of lions. The final verse reads, they will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has Done it. I said at the start that I think Psalm 22 sets out one of the greatest invitations of the Christian life, which is to live a life in connection with the Son who was crucified and raised to new life. See, Psalm 22, of course, this was the psalm, as you know, that was on Jesus' mind on the cross both the Gospels of Matthew and of Mark place these words from this psalm on Jesus' tongue, his final words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I used to hear those words and the only thing that I could do was shudder. But over time, as well as the shuddering, I actually now hear an invitation the invitation to take my sense of forsakenness and abandonment and suffering and to connect it to God. That's the pattern that we see in Psalm 22. And this is the mystery of the Christian life, that it is not that God came to take our burden away or take our cross away or take our agony away Instead, God came to invite us to connect our burden with God's burden, to connect our pain with God's pain, to connect our suffering with a God who suffers with us. The great invitation of the Christian life is to live a life in connectedness with the Son of God who was crucified and raised to new life. The Son of God who died broken, It is an invitation to live connected to a God who wants to give us his burden. And his burden, as you know, is easy. And his yoke is light. Because it is a burden that God has already carried for us. Jesus says in those wonderful and haunting and challenging words, take up your cross, take it up and follow me. And when Jesus says, take up your cross, he didn't say, create your cross. He didn't say, go out into the world and find a cross. He said, take up your cross. Which means, have the courage to embrace the pain in your life, the circumstances of your own suffering as it is. Now, we live in a culture that would prefer that we either deny the pain that we experience or center it as the central truth of our lives. But Jesus didn't say to deny your pain or allow it to overtake you. He said, take up your pain and connect it to me. Connect it with God by bringing your pain into the healing presence of the cross and resurrection. What exactly does that look like? Well, I think it might sound a little like this, where we say, God, it actually really hurts to not be liked by some people in my life. It really hurts to be this lonely. And as we bring this pain into the presence of Jesus, we remember how rejected and alone he was and as we connect our experience of rejection with jesus experience of rejection somehow the burden of our loneliness shifts it sounds like this saying to god god i am so incredibly full of fear today I don't know where it comes from, but I am overwhelmed by anxiousness. Lord, I want to bring it into your presence. I want to bring it right into the garden of Gethsemane and connect it to the anguish that caused you to bleed tears so that my fear might find its place in your struggle to live. It sounds like saying... God, my body, my body aches. Lord, the physicians have done all that they can, but they don't know what more to do with me. And I want to know that you know what this physical pain feels like too, that you are a God who had a body that was wounded, wounded in your hands, wounded in your side, wounded in your feet. I want my woundedness To become part of your woundedness, God. So that it might not make me bitter and resentful and angry. But it brings me into a place where I can touch the mystery of your death and resurrection. See, Jesus invites us to take up our cross and to follow And it's an invitation to bring Jesus the whole of the presence of the fullness of our lives and our being. To bring all of our anguish, all of our pain, all of our forsakenness and loneliness, and to let our cross be enfolded into the cross of Jesus Christ. So that our burden, when joined with the burden of Jesus, might become a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light. You see, Jesus hanging on the cross only quoted from the very first verse of Psalm 22. But actually, I think that was just a signpost. I think he was inviting us to read the whole thing through. So that every time we imagine Jesus on the cross saying these words, we might remember the psalmist who through this psalm dives into an ocean of vulnerability by speaking out their deepest fears so that we might experience a wave of connection and trust with God. Because it's only when we allow ourselves to experience this place of connection and trust in God that it's possible for anything to change. As that connection is being made, something new is born. A kind of renewal takes place within us. But every time, every time we step back from that place of vulnerability and try and hide our pain again, every time we say, no, I'm just... I'm just too, I'm too embarrassed. No, it's just, it's too, it's too much. I can't share this with the people around me. Every time we make that choice, the burden that we are carrying becomes heavier and heavier until it crushes the very life out of us. Dr. Aaron's 36 questions, I think give us this wonderful shortcut, this ability to connect with the people around me, and it's great. But I want to say that the Bible's 150 Psalms, well, when we take these and we make them prayers in our own mouths, they connect us to the entirety of God's life in the world because through them we discover a new way of being, a way of being that allows us to live our struggles in the fullness of our actual lives in a completely new way. But to get to that place, we have to take a step, a step of naming as honestly and as vulnerably that we possibly can what is actually happening Inside of us, the inner reality of the struggles that we face and the pain and the burdens that we bear. So, why don't we do that this morning as we pray together? Let's pray. Loving God, in the quietness of this moment, we just bring all of ourselves into your presence. We bring our pain and our anguish. We bring our disappointment and our questions. We bring our unanswered prayers. We bring the burdens that are crushing us, God. And we take up our cross and we seek to join it to your cross, Jesus to bring it into your presence who knows what it is to suffer and who has lived through it all. God, our prayer this morning is that you would take our burdens and as we lay them down, you might fill the space that opens up within us with new life and new hope and a new way forward. We feel forsaken and alone and we bring this all to you, God, and invite you to be with us in an entirely new way. We thank you for your gentleness. We thank you for your patience. and We pray that you would bring healing in our hope and hope in our lives this morning. Jesus' in name, we. Pray.